According to the Gun Violence Archive, there have been over 200 mass shootings defined as four or more people injured or killed in the United States in 2022 alone. We need to ban assault weapons in high-capacity magazines. And if we can't ban assault weapons, then we should raise the age to purchase them from 18 to 21. Strengthen background checks. Enact safe storage law and red flag laws. Repeal the immunity to protect manufacturers from liability. Address the mental health crisis. Address the mental health crisis. Address the mental health crisis. are an estimated 393 million civilian-owned firearms in the U.S., and there are 20 million AR-15-style weapons in the country. It's a nasty truth, but those who seek to inflict harm are not phased by gun control laws. I happen to know this from personal experience. I'm a gun owner. You know, I don't mind that you know that I have a gun. You can come to my house and look for you. You can get off whatever you need. I don't understand why anyone objects to getting rid of automatic weapons. Automatic weapons, they're not for hunting. They do nothing. They're not, they're only there to kill. You can't have a bunch of people walking around with guns. I used to tell people whenever, when we did uh, Bosnia, Kosovo, anything like that, you get enough people with weapons around and there will be unintended consequences. The difficulty is background checks. I don't object to background checks. And you just say, well, why don't we close the loophole of the private transactions? See, they did that in California. They closed the loophole, and it's illegal to have a private transaction. Yeah. But in San Bernardino, it still happened. Why? Because in order to police private uh, transactions and have background checks, you would have to know where all the guns are all the time. And so what we fear is not the registration. I think you'll find this from most pro-gun people. We don't fear the, the, background, uh, the background checks. We fear that you would have to register all guns in order to know if, if to have a background check. I'd rather die than be a slave to thee. Don't change me, let's play. I'd rather die than be your slave. I will survive. Can you feel my rage? It's not a question of being brave. I'd rather die than be your slave. I am smaller and, and less capable to handle violence, and a firearm is the great equalizer. I go to bed at night comfortably and do not worry about it at all because I have an AR-15 beside my bed. In 1994, an assault weapons ban prohibiting the manufacture, sale, and possession of specific military-style firearms went into effect. In the words of Thomas Jefferson, he said that we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. And among those rights is our right to defend ourselves, defend our family, and to defend our property. To tell them this is not about gun control, it's about crime control. 
as that the guy was simply going to walk around, take aim, pull the trigger, go to the next person, take aim, pull the trigger. He was executing people. When I did realize it, I thought, I've got him. I've got this guy. I reached for my purse that was on the floor next to me, realized I had a perfect place to prop my arm. He was up. Everybody else in the restaurant was down. And then I realized that a few months earlier, I had made the stupidest decision of my life. I had begun leaving my gun out in my car because I did what most normal people would do. I wanted to be a law-abiding citizen. I didn't want to get caught with a gun and maybe lose my license to practice. Urge my colleagues in the House and Senate to act. We can ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines in this country once again. If we sacrifice our liberty in the pursuit of safety, we'll lose our safety and our liberty. So you may think that I was angry at the guy that did it, but the truth is that's like being mad at a rabid dog. You don't be mad at a rabid dog. You take it behind the barn and you kill it, but you don't be mad at it. But I've got to tell you, I was mad as heck at my legislators because I honestly believe that they legislated me out of the right to protect myself and my family. The Constitution does not say that government shall decree the right to keep and bear arms. The Constitution says the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the show. This is the V Radio and Liberty Unleashed radio show. I am the host of Liberty Unleashed, Brian. And I am the host of V Radio, Neil Kiernan. All right. Well, this is a great show today, Neil. I'm, I'm very excited about it. Uh, this is something that I'm very passionate about. If, uh, if you couldn't tell by the opening, we're obviously doing a show about gun control and the Second Amendment. And, you know, like I said, this is uh, something that I've been very passionate about and very excited to do the show. I've been very passionate about this issue, too, and I think that it's interesting, particularly for me, being a left-leaning guy who was always the pro-gun left-leaning guy. Like, where does that come from, right? Um, but, you know, it was imparted on me from my childhood by my mom, you know, that, you know, nope, you, you need to have your guns, and it's not just for hunting. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. I mean, you know, as we get into it, that's part of the conversation that everybody talks about. I think you heard it in the opening. Um, what's her name saying? that, you know, machine guns aren't for hunting, and it's not just about hunting. Uh, you know, the conversation about gun control isn't new. It's it's ongoing, obviously, and the dialogue changes a little, but the end goal is the same. It's about control, and I would say eventually an all-out ban. Right, yeah, and I think also we need to discuss just the, the notion that, um, like, one of the angles that I'm going to bring to this, ironically, and then once again, I'm not a communist, but even Karl Marx recognized that the people needed to be armed to be able to protect themselves from any form of tyranny that might take place, which is probably to be mind blowing to some people. And it's funny because the Marxist community does its best to try to reinterpret or to, you know, add context to what Karl Marx said. But Karl Marx was very direct. He said that, you know, that any attempt to try to disarm the people should be stopped by force if necessary. And um, it's interesting that even people on, as far left as you get still believed that the, the common man needed to be armed to be able to protect themselves from, if necessary, their own government. 
Unless you're in the uh, far left in America, then you seem to be completely for controlling the guns and uh, eventually banning them. So it appears. I mean, you know, one, I want to encourage everybody real quick to go over and, uh, if they haven't already, to subscribe to our channels. Um, my channel is at Liberty Unleashed TV on YouTube, and I believe you're at V-Radio on YouTube. Yep. yep, and they can also find Johnny Walker Dredd's channel. Um, I put them all in the description, uh, but... That's all over on YouTube, but we will make sure that those links are available to you guys. Johnny won't be joining us until a little later. He's doing some research for his own broadcast that'll be going on tonight. Um, you know, but it'll be a great conversation. Yeah. And you know, no matter where you stand on the issue today, I hope that you tune in and listen. I mean, if you're against guns and for gun control, I don't suspect that I'll change your mind or will change your mind, but hopefully we'll give you something new or different to think about when it comes to that and perhaps maybe change your mind, but I doubt it, uh, you know, but we'll try. Unfortunately, and, yeah. The gun control thing has become so tribal. I mean, just like pretty much anything else, you know, and I think that uh, if anything, the Kyle Rittenhouse situation did a fantastic job of kind of putting it on display and bringing it back into the common parlance. But um, one of the things that we will also be discussing today is some examples of some mass shootings, um, you know, and how they went differently based upon whether or not there was an armed person present. Right. And, you know, the Kyle Rittenhouse thing, I think, kind of proves um, the point on gun control all around. I, you know, the facts were there. If you watch the case, all the infant, well, you know, some facts were there. Most of the facts were there. But what I'm saying is you still have people who watch the case and still make claims that one, Kyle took the gun across state lines illegally, or he illegally owned a gun. Um, even though that came out in the case and it was completely thrown out and wasn't even part of the trial because he didn't do anything illegal when it came to having that gun. Um, and you know, you got one side who still claims after watching everything that Kyle's a murderer and another side who essentially says, you know, he's a hero. Um, and then we both, you know, both sides watch the, tr the same trial, watch the same footage. So, you know, the same thing happens with the gun control debate all around. I mean, it doesn't seem to matter. You either believe that you have a right to own a gun and a right to defend yourself, uh, defend your property, or you believe you don't. I mean, that seems to be the case here. Right. I agree. Um, and that's a topic that, you know, I think that we'll definitely be tackling today. Um, I guess, where did you want to start? Well, I mean, we'll go down here and we've got plenty of stuff to talk about. You know, to me, uh, it's no surprise that government itself is for gun control. Um, no government wants its citizens to be able to challenge its power and the authority. That's always going to be the case. What really does surprise me, Neil, um, and you know, hopefully there's some people in the chat that might spread some light on this for us, but what really surprises me is the amount of people who go along with the government, who, who hear what some of the politicians are saying uh, and, and agree with it and think that we should have some form of control. And now with social media, I mean, it's just like our last episode where everything's more loud, more vocal because of social media. And what I find is, you know, our last episode where we talked about the book banning, we just talked about how it's a straight out lie that the, the one side, the, the left is sitting there saying they want to ban books, they want to ban books. And now what the left does, particularly with guns, is it's it's the guns, Neil. It's the guns. That's all they say. It's the guns. Anytime there's a shooting, they come out and say it's the guns. And then they follow up and say, this is the fault of the NRA and extreme MAGA Republicans. They don't talk about the actual shooter or blame the shooter. 
they blame the guns, they blame the NRA, and they blame the Republicans. And they do it often and loudly. And that's repeated. It's on repeat. They don't change. You go in and you watch the comments, the amount of people who suggested them think otherwise, and they don't change their position. It's the guns, it's the guns, it's the NRA, the NRA has blood in their hands. And I mean, incidentally, I don't really know any NRA members. I've, you know, I've been a gun owner since I was 13, 14 years old. And what I can tell you is the NRA is going downhill. They've, they've spent too much time compromising with politicians on gun control that there are much better um, gun advocacy groups out there than the NRA. So the fact that, um, you know, that people are, the left is yelling, it's the NRA. It's kind of interesting to me, but it's on repeat. Right. And, you know, repeat the lie often enough and you, you know, you can create a consensus. And I think that largely at the end of the day, a lot of the people who, for one thing, this is another of the reasons why it's a problem is that these same people want to defund police departments, you know, and I know that, you know, for example, obviously as an anarchist, you want to do the same thing, but society has to be prepared for it. But if you're going to defund police departments, as we've already seen, that isn't working out in the places that it's being done that are definitely not prepared for any such kind of a movement. Um, crime rates are going up. Violent crime rates are going up. Victimizations are going up, you know, and places like Chicago that have the most stringent gun laws, you know, as a city, for some reason, end up with the highest crime rates regardless. And that's because criminals don't usually get their guns through legal means anyway. Right, exactly. I mean, I have a, a graphic here of uh, two gang members, and I don't know if you can put that up on the screen there. But it's, uh, right, there we go. I, I mean, it says it all. It says, you know, it's the one guy saying, are you coming to the drive-by tonight? And the other gang member says, can't, still waiting on my gun permit. Uh, <laughs> you know? um, right. Yeah, like that, like that happens, you know. Uh, the only people who are affected by those waiting lists and the gun permits and things like that are the law-abiding citizens who are trying to protect themselves. Uh, there was a case recently that came across, and I, I couldn't find it again for the show, so I'll just sum it up for you. But this lady was in California, uh, had a stalker. The stalker seemed like he was going to get violent, and she went to apply for a handgun, and I guess she had to wait 10 days. Right. Now, you know, a lot can happen within that 10 days. The only person that's affecting is her. The stalker doesn't care. You know, uh, in fact, he's probably happy that she has to wait 10 days. So, yeah, the, the criminals, they don't follow the laws. They don't care about the laws. And I think that's it's a common theme when you go and watch the comments on social media. Um, you know, all the, the Democrats out there screaming, you know, it's the guns, it's the guns. And we've got to do these regulations. And everybody says, well, OK, that's affecting me, the law abiding citizen. How's that going to stop crime? And it's like silence. They don't respond back to the comments. They don't, there's no video or anything I can find where they rationally tell you uh, how that will stop crime. They claim that Clinton's um, ban, assault rifle ban, which we'll get into, wasn't even really in a ban, um, you know, as we go through the show. But they claim that during that period that it was, it, you know, crime, gun crime really plummeted. When you look into it, there's no actual data or study that shows that, that to be true. But yet again, they're on repeat. We banned assault rifles once and it stopped crime. We can do it again. Right. And as if like that's the even the weapon that the majority of the uh, crimes are even being committed with. I mean, we could look at statistics for that at some point for sure. You know, but in general, um, while they did happen, I mean, I remember the AK-47 sounding off when I lived in the ghetto. But um, a lot of most of the crimes I'm pretty sure were done with pistols. You might know more about that than me. 
Yeah, I mean, that's actually the case when you look at the stats and go through it. And that's what I find interesting, um, you know, that they're sitting there running around saying we need to ban assault rifles. We need to ban assault rifles. They're like, we're all about protecting you and the children. So we need to ban assault rifles. Assault rifles, as they describe them, as they try to um, with their um, categorizing, you know, the AK or the AR, specifically the AR, um, is used in less than 3% of the gun shootings and gun crimes out there. Uh, so, you know, they want to ban this thing that's not even really being used. And, of course, you know, they're ignoring the pistols, and I, I assume that has to do with the uh, the D.C. versus uh, Heller case because the Supreme Court already ruled on that based on, you know, him wanting to buy a pistol. But that's the thing. Like, you know, they don't – they're not telling the truth. Again, you know, it's a, a flat-out lie to push an agenda and that's it. They don't care about the stats unless the stats support their argument. And even then, they take the stats and it's, they skew the stats. So, you know, what you're hearing right now through the president all the way down um, through Congress and their supporters is that guns are the number one killer of children. Well, first of all, children generally don't die of terminal illness, not in numbers because they're young and healthy. So of course, cancer and heart disease aren't going to be a high killer of children. Most children aren't smoking, you know, or doing drugs. So, you know, you can eliminate that. They're not drinking and driving because they can't drive. So there's very few things that are going to be a killer of children. But if you take that stat and you break it out, first of all, they include 18 and 19 year olds in that stat of children. And most of those 18 and 19 year olds are killed due to gang violence. Right. And they're very selective about their outrage when these kinds of things happen too. And it's always interesting to see this is that the left is highly concentrated, for example, on the very few um, people of color who are killed by police every year who are unarmed. Um, I did a video on that topic and I believe it was literally 19 total in 2019 unarmed black people shot. Um, a number like, you know, of course, when you look at it, on average, the police only shoot about a thousand a year. And of that number, there was 19 in 2009. I'm sorry, 13 in 2019. And the 1000 a year is not a number adjusted for justified shootings. And you have to take that into account the millions and millions of police interactions. Um, and I have all those statistics if people want to read them, but it's actually not very common in the long run. And certainly not common enough to try to suggest that that needs to be the primary focus. But in the meantime, they don't want to discuss any of the other crime that's going on in those communities. Um, you know, like children getting shot, for example, in drive-by shootings, um, you know, as a, as a consequence happens considerably more often than people being shot by police. Right. Um, and, you know, if we're talking about stats and, you know, my first question becomes, do stats, uh, 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 if the stats are at a certain number, are we allowed to then violate people's rights? And if that's the case, wouldn't that be across the board with all rights, not just the second amendment, right? right. Uh, and, and where does that number start and begin? Uh, as I said, you know, they, they run around saying it's the guns, it's the guns over and over uh, in 2021, over 13,000 people died due to alcohol impaired driving. I have a feeling that if they reported on the news and talked about it as like they do gun violence, maybe people would start saying it's the cars, it's the cars, it's the cars, but they don't. If the news comes out and says, well, this guy was drinking and driving and hit a bus full of children and killed them all. Then everybody says, man, that guy was an asshole. What kind of jerk does that? You know, it's not, it's the cars. We need to do something about the cars. 
take that right. same thing and somebody goes and shoots up a school bus and kills all the children, it's the guns, it's the guns, it's the guns, and they don't talk about the shooter. So they're they're purposely switching how they talk about things. And again, you know, obviously 13,000 deaths from a car is still less than what the gun violence was in 2021. But I, I shouldn't say gun violence because the gun stat includes suicides and the suicides uh, was 50%, 53% of gun-related deaths. So actual murder and homicide was less than 50% of all gun-related deaths. So when you take the number of gun-related deaths um, and you take out the suicides and just do gun violence, gun crime, murder, um, that number goes down significantly to as much or little or as less as car DUI accidents. Right. So again, here we are saying, well, we got to do something about guns but nothing about cars. Now I'm not advocating that we do anything about cars. That's not my point here. Uh, we could, you know, you could put governors in cars. You could put all kinds of tracking devices on cars. You could do background checks and not let violent criminals drive a car. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do to have common sense, quote unquote, car control laws. Okay. But we don't. And then when you bring it up, most people are like, well, yeah, but we have a right to drive as if you don't have the right to own a gun. Do right. you understand? So they're confusing where the rights are. Obviously there's nothing in the constitution that says anything about transportation. There's no bill of rights that says your right to have transportation shall not be infringed. Now I think we believe that that's understood as free people. We have a right to travel around, right. but nonetheless, the right there uh, to own, keep and bear arms should not be infringed. And yet that's what's being infringed. And they're trying to do it based on certain numbers. Or so they say. It's probably more agenda, and they try to use the numbers to push that agenda. But you get my point. If you take that same year of 2021, Neil, 98,000 people, that's double gun crime or gun deaths that would include also suicide. 98,000, almost 100,000 people died of drug overdoses. Right. Okay. Uh, clearly, the war on drugs, as we know, is a failure. Yeah. And we've talked about this plenty of years ago when we used to do a radio show together. I believe there was a big documentary out that, about that that you were pushing and talking about then. Uh, I don't remember the name of it. I was hoping yeah, you actually, did. Yeah, uh, actually, it was called the, um, the Last Great White Hope, America's War on Drugs. And I interviewed the filmmaker of that documentary. If you guys would like to listen to the interview, you can find it in my archives here on YouTube because I turned it into a YouTube uh, video as well. Um, I was personally on the... I want to say on the fence, but I was 100% convinced about the how to handle the war on drugs until I watched that documentary. Um, and he traveled the world looking at the way that the war on drugs was handled in other countries. I think one of them was it's one of the Nordic countries. I think it might have been Sweden. But basically, you know, it took them forever to find even a single crack user who was enthusiastic. And then most of the time, though, the drug use was lower in those countries because they handled it as a public health issue um, rather than as a restriction. That's also what Senator Mike Gravel said for the longest time, that we needed to end the war on drugs. Right. Um, I know, think um, Portugal had the same thing. They started basically you could go to a clinic and get free needles so they were clean. So one, it really dropped the um, the uh, HIV and um, – oh, God, what's the other one I'm thinking? Hi, hi, um I can't think of it. Um, yeah, I'm drawing a blank right now on the air. That's great. Uh, hepatitis. 
Mm-hmm. So by giving out clean needles and letting people go get the needles without repercussion and getting them clean, you know, making sure that they're clean needles, uh, it dropped those rates significantly. Um, and, you know, interesting enough, the argument in America has been if you legalize drugs and everybody's going to go out and do drugs. Right. right. So that's what they're the same argument. So if you legalize machine guns, as um, you know, they're trying to say should be illegal then everybody's just going to go out and get a machine gun and start killing people you know it doesn't it doesn't work that way you legalize drugs people who didn't do drugs before aren't going to be like well now i'm going to go do them um you know it, it doesn't it's not work that way and and people don't go kill people just because they have a gun they have to have something else going on with them and in their mind to do that so um and also you know as we're talking about it with the stats brought up the dui that doesn't include the stats of people killed because of distracted driving, which adds a lot more numbers to the death with cars. Sure. So texting and driving, putting makeup on and driving, people trying to read a book and drive. You add all that into, and there's still no outcry. And it's because the news and the media do not put it on there and throw it in your face and spend a week talking about it like they do any gun crime. Right. Yeah, it's it definitely doesn't get the attention, and I and I think that it largely just has to do with the fact that they really want to control the way people think about this topic. I mean, not just this topic, but many of them. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, the ironically, the same kinds of people who, like I mentioned earlier, they want to you know they want to take guns away from private citizens, and at the same time, they want to let criminals back out on the streets. Literally, the same day that they assaulted people, you know the the perfect storm that the the progressive left of its current like you know bastardization is trying to create would literally just create a circumstance that empowers criminals and going back to the rittenhouse situation that was kind of the energy that they seemed to have was that they always talked about how he should not have been there he should not have had a rifle he should not have been armed and as i just went over on a stream because i did a stream reacting to the destiny young turks debate um, there were armed people present already. There were people with AR-15 shooting at police bearcats present in Kenosha. Right. These and, armed people weren't for the side of the citizens protecting buildings, protecting property. They were on the side of the protest. Right. Exactly. The the riots, you know, and they were instigating directly with police and trying to, you know. So the point is, is like, why would anybody want to be armed going to that protest? The real question would be, why the hell would you be insane enough to show up to something like that and not be armed? You know, and, Right. right. And, and let's not forget that he was there, one, giving medical treatment to people, and two, he was helping protect somebody's business. We have the right to protect our life and our property, and since we have that right to form a militia, um, he had that right to be there with other people to help protect that person's property. Uh, and it's overlooked and they don't want to talk about it. They don't even want you to point it out. And if you do bring it up, they kind of be like, you know, they go back to just saying, well, he shouldn't have been there. Uh, I believe that same video you were talking about, they brought up his mother and how bad of a person she was for dropping him off there. Right. Uh, I guess it turned out she didn't drop him off there, but that didn't change it. He still talked as if his mother did. He didn't change his opinion on that. Yep. And um, Johnny's actually signaling that he's ready to join us. You ready to bring him on? Sure. All right, so adding to the stream, welcome, Johnny Walker Dread. Though I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, sorry about that. The uh, no. the little chat thing covered 
over the actual button to unmute. I couldn't oh. figure out where it was. <laughs> well, welcome to the show, man. Um, I know obviously two topics that you're you know um, into the Kyle Rittenhouse topic and how it pertains to the Second Amendment. I mean, that's even why your channel exists, right? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, it started out as a police brutality channel, but I only had a couple of videos up and I was kind of getting a little bit tired of it at that point. And then all of a sudden, Kyle went around shooting up the town of Kenosha and that kind of changed everything. And um, I got really heavily invested. I, I watched him in the police station, uh, obviously coming unglued. And I thought, you know, I better research this a bit more and see what I can do. And that's what started it all. Right. And that's, you know, that's actually how Johnny and I met it was like, ironically, I was the left leaning guy who had kind of been expecting at some point somebody to go crazy and start shooting people. Um, but I think what brought me to that, to that idea was watching that guy get kicked in the head by Marquis Love. I think the guy's name was Black Lives Matter security, quote unquote, was following around random white people and starting fights with them. And that's all on video. Drew Hernandez did a very good job of uncovering that. But I you watch that guy get kicked in the head, you're like, somebody's going to get shot. So th this isn't going to be allowed to go on forever. And then within like two weeks, that happened. And then I did my own research and went, nope, that's not what happened. People attacked him and he fired back as in nobody went crazy and was shooting their gun, at least not Kyle Rittenhouse anyway. But um, we've been over that a lot on this channel. And I know you have on yours. And, um, you know, uh, Brian and I have talked about this topic quite a bit as well. But the reason that it's relevant to what we're discussing today is the right of the private citizen to be able to protect themselves and their property. And I remember over and over again in videos where I was arguing with different people on this topic was that Wisconsin law made it clear that you are allowed to protect yourself, um, a third party, and the third party's property. That's all listed in Wisconsin law along with your own, obviously. So, um, and as far as the deadly force, you're only supposed to do that in the event that you're being attacked, but you have every reason to believe that you're under a dead attack of deadly force when some idiot fires off a pistol behind you at the same time that somebody's charging you and reaching for your gun. You right. know, but go ahead. Oh, no, I was agreeing with you. Um, quickly, Steel, Steel Gaze, Stargazer in the chat said, asked if it's legal to form a militia. I'm not sure if that was a serious question, but, I mean, obviously it is. Uh, that's the first part of the Second Amendment. And, yes, you can form a militia by definition without a problem. Um, but, yeah, you know, we didn't get into state laws. We're basically, you know, as we started off the show and you were pointing out the Wisconsin law, uh, yes, every state has their own constitution and laws about guns. Um, in some cases, obviously, that if the gun violates the constitution, uh, that that law violates the constitution, if it gets challenged and the Supreme Court's doing the right thing, then that will get overturned. Most of the time, it doesn't make it that far because it either gets overturned at a lower level or people don't challenge it because they don't find it a waste of it's they don't want to spend the money and time to challenge something like that. So while we're talking mostly about, you know, federal, you know, Joe Biden and all them uh, wanting to ban guns, states have already done, I believe, Wisconsin, not Wisconsin, but uh, Washington recently just did a whole big ban on what they call assault rifles. And just like the Bill Clinton assault rifle ban, they put all kinds of little stuff in there, like no bump stocks and things like that. Um, what will happen, obviously, is that will get challenged and most likely overturned. I don't even think it will make it to the Supreme Court. I think the district courts will overturn it. Yeah, and by the way, you mentioned Wisconsin briefly there, although you correct yourself. 
Uh, but Wisconsin tried to uh, plug the loophole that evidently they thought Kyle had gotten away with, and uh, it was uh, actually voted down. So um, whatever stipulations that Kyle used, there were three of them, uh, is still the law in Wisconsin. Yeah. And I think you're finding where, you know, it's dominantly red, you know, the um, gun laws are going to get passed where it's dominantly blue. Um, they're going to get shot down. So, you know, or did I reverse those colors? Right. And by the way, we mentioned the AR-15 and I have a video up on that particular rifle in the way the public reacts to it. And I think it's kind of important here because the public is kind of played the AR-15 as this uh, absolutely horrendous uh dangerous weapon when in reality to them it's a political symbol and i have a video in fact i can tell you what the name of it is on my channel it says a young man shows up to a protest with his rifle and people go nuts and what happened is is that some young man shows up with an ar-15 and a crowd of women basically encircle him and are chewed him out, basically trying to antagonize the hell out of him because they're in ter they're in terrified, right? They're so scared of him. And this is what I'm talking about: the the uh, political symbolism of the AR-15 has gotten so massive that the people who oppose it have even forgotten that it's a dangerous weapon. And I have a feeling that that's one of the reasons why Anthony Huber uh, was shot to death was because momentarily. He saw a political symbol running down the street with a political symbol strapped around his chest and simply didn't even come to think that uh, this thing can kill you. And he chased the Kyle down and got shot to death for his uh, efforts. So I think that the way that the public views the AR-15 is really important. I think they I, I think to them it's just purely Trump versus Biden. Yeah, and I mean, that's what, as I was pointing out at the beginning of the show, I mean, the, the whole Democrat, the whole left side keeps making it about, you know, uh, the MAGA extreme Republicans. They, they don't, they want to ban books for children, but not keep them safe by banning guns. You know, they want your children to die, so they're not banning guns. Um, and so, yeah, it's become that. It's become Democrat for banning guns versus MAGA extreme Republicans for not banning guns. Forgetting that there's us independents and libertarians out there that also are like, hey, oh, you can't take our guns. Well, this I is would the reason why your arguments against the AR, your arguments for the AR-15 are not going to have any effect. They don't care about its lethality. It's a political symbol, and it's a political victory if they can somehow get them banned. Um, the fact that it only shows up in a very minor, uh, minute amount of actual crimes in this country is not relevant to them. They don't care. To them, it's like voting Trump out of office. And so you can go ahead and use all of the statistics and all of the arguments you want on them. They don't care. They want to win this. And it's, again, it's, it's a matter of political pride. It, it's, it's very true. Um, Neil, I got something to go on with yeah, that, but you were yeah. about to jump in um, there. I was going to say that it's interesting that, you know, because I'm looking now, actually, I'm going to be purchasing a, a rifle here pretty soon. And when I was discussing this with a gun enthusiast, one of the things he pointed out was that, because uh, one of the guns I was interested in was the World War II style M1 carbine. And he said, the funny thing is, is that, you know, you can get those new. He's like, I wouldn't always necessarily recommend a gun like that because it's sometimes harder to find the parts. He says, however, it does have an advantage. And I was like, what's that? He's like, pretty much anything that's wood grain is less scary looking and less likely to get banned. And I realized he was right because people have this irrational understanding of what an assault rifle is, as if the 
the fact that an AR-15 is made primarily of metal with black parts and, you know, fancy looking stuff on it, therefore somehow makes it more lethal than another rifle firing the exact same ammunition. Um, you know, and that's another recommendation just made across the board. Like I wanted a carbine. He's like, you know, there are some other examples of some carbines that just look like hunting rifles that would shoot the same kind of, you know, ordinance that I was looking at for the other carbines I was interested in. He's like, but this one's less likely to get banned because it just looks like a gun your grandpa might use to take out and shoot deer. It's exactly right. Um, you know, obviously, if anybody out there doesn't know, the AR-15, the AR part stands for Armalite Arms, not Assault Rifle. I think people who aren't in the guns and who are just the left who want them banned have this misunderstanding of it. Um, but, you know, the Bill Clinton Assault Rifle ban that we were talking about earlier, uh, it makes your point, Johnny uh, and Neil, that, you know, the AR is, it's just, it's a publicity stunt. It's a scary looking gun. Um, in the assault rifle quote-unquote ban, 650 firearm types or models were excluded from that ban. And that list included the Ruger Mini 14 and the Ruger uh, Mini 30 and the M1 Carbine. And I bring that up because the Mini 14, the Ruger Mini 14, shoots a 223 or a 5.56, which is the same round as the AR, and is also semi-automatic. And the Mini 30 shoots a 7.62, which is the round of the AK-47. Um, if you're wondering what the Mini 30 is, if you've watched the A-Team, uh, that's what they used on the A-Team a lot when you were growing up and watching it. But that's the point you were making. It's a scary-looking gun, and it has some kind of stigma to it. So it's a political victory if they get it banned, and they're making it sound like they're going to keep people safe and protecting people by doing this, yet these other guns that function the exact same and use the exact same caliber are off the list, off the sites of them. Yeah, and by the way, um, we might get some confusion here between the carbine and the uh, Garand. Uh, the Garand is not a carbine. It's I used to own one, and in fact, you don't want to get shot with an M1 Garand. That's yeah. a 30 odd six round. And I mean, I can't imagine what those wounds would have looked like in World War II, but that is a very powerful rifle. In fact, it's probably about as powerful as you're really going to want to use for hunting because anything more powerful it makes you flinch when you pull the trigger. So the 223, the AR-15 is, I would call, modest to light-powered. And in fact, you really don't want to shoot big game with it. Um, but the uh, the M1, that's a different story. And yet, if you showed up with an M1 Garand, uh, they probably wouldn't care that much. Right. Exactly. Uh, even the AK, I've, if you have it certain ways, it doesn't look that scary. You you do other things with it. You start putting the steel on it, and then people start thinking it's scary. It's amazing that they're focusing on the looks, um, you know, the, uh, the form and not the function. In some ways, you would think that, that would be good, but it makes it even more ridiculous because, as you said, you can't change their mind. You can't convince them. And a lot of the reason that I find that they're going after the AR particularly, it's not that other guns aren't like this, but, you know, the AR is you can you can swap out parts. You can do a lot of customization with the AR-15. And most of these customizations mean nothing. I mean, it's not going to change your effectiveness of killing somebody or not. You know, it's more your preference on how it looks. Um, but nonetheless, because you can change out the trigger easily, you can change out the rails, you can add stuff to the rails different than other guns. Um, this, this modifications that you can do seems to scare them. In fact, in my opening video there that we put together, um, more of the video Biden talking, he was talking about one of the shooters. Uh, it was a news conference. He said, we haven't yet, um, figured out the modifications that he's done to this gun yet as if that was some 
thing that was going to make the shooter more effective. Uh, you can take a hunting rifle, a single shot bolt action, and put a better scope on it, same as you can an AR. Um, you know, it's about the shooter and how much time they have on the gun and how often they use it and go practice with it more so than it is the modifications you can make to it. Right. So I guess the, the question then becomes, where do we want to take this from here? Um, I, you know, I have some stuff, for example, to bring up. I have a clip specifically discussing the, uh, Charleston shooting, which is ironic to me because, Someone had challenged me because they said I don't do enough videos, you know, from a leftist perspective for them. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? And they said, well, why don't you ever talk about the Charleston shooting? Because, of course, they love the Charleston shooting because, uh, you know, it brings up their white supremacist boogeyman that they want so much. But there's an interesting point about the Charleston shooting that the person that I was talking to about it was not aware of. And I'd like to take a moment to expose the audience to it if you guys are up for it. Okay. So I have a clip here of a documentary. Um, it was actually a Showtime documentary specifically on the topic of mass shootings. And I pulled up this clip because there's an interesting point specifically about what happened in Charleston and how it could have gone very differently. Then the group stood to do a closing prayer. When they stood up, they closed their eyes. And as they closed their eyes, he pulled out his gun and he shot Clemente Pinckney, the church's pastor, first. And then he began to go around the four tables. The people at the tables, for the most part, dove underneath them for protection. However, Reverend Simmons, who was an army veteran, stood and in his commanding voice said, what have you done to my pastor? I need to check on my pastor. At which point, Roof shot him. Dan Simmons uh, stumbled toward the exit, and Roof shot him several more times, and he fell right next to the door to get out of the church. His son later testified about um, wondering why his father did not pull the gun that he normally had on him. Uh, it turned out that Reverend Simmons had left his gun in his car. And so there is some speculation that he was trying to get to his car to get to his gun. So think about how that changes the entire dynamic of discussing the Charleston shooting. Um, because nobody brings this up, although it was reported by mainstream media. And I have an article that I want to pull up here real quick on this topic, but you know, in case anybody's doubting the veracity. But when the leftists discuss the Charleston shooting, they never bring up this topic. And it's reported here by ABC News. Reverend Simmons left his handgun in his car on the night of the Emanuel shooting, says son in testimony, specifically stating, I'm going to go ahead and blow this up so you guys can read along with me, but it says, Daniel Simmons carried a small pistol with him everywhere, even to church on Sundays and Bible studies on Wednesday nights. If he had been armed, then I honestly believe that that shooting probably would have went a lot more like the one in Texas, which I also have an article for, where um a mass shooter showed up at a texas church and then people stood up and he got gunned down in seconds the moment he opened fire on the people in that church i've seen footage of that um i i wasn't able to find it um for this clip but um it was actually i mean it's it's an unfortunate situation but honestly that guy was dead as fried chicken the moment he opened fire and there were several other examples of you know the other circumstances like this um there was another one ironically uh where wherein a mass shooter who happened to be African-American um, 
was shot by another African-American who put an end to the mass shooting. Um, and that would be this one here. Um, and people don't discuss these. These don't get any kind of attention. It doesn't help, of course, that the left is obsessed right now with insisting that all mass shooters are far right, straight male Christian conservatives. You know, but again, this guy showed up at a party and apparently NRA members too, which not a right. single one have been, but go ahead. And this guy had gotten his AR illegally and he showed up at a party and started opening fire. And this girl pulled out her pistol and had him dead in seconds. You know, um, there's another one I didn't have a clip, a, a link for, but I can provide these to anybody who wants to see them in the chat. Um, you know, where somebody had had a gun and he started opening fire at a mall and then somebody pulled out a gun and shot them too. Um, and one of the reasons why that one doesn't get brought up is, again, it was an African-American person. And I want to be very clear for the audience. I'm not in any way suggesting that African-Americans are more predisposed to committing mass shootings. The issue is, is that um, they were they were trying to make it a racial issue and they still do. You know, they try to bring this up and they very selectively don't want to talk about it anytime a person of color does any of these things. And they say that they do that supposedly to try to protect people from harmful stereotypes. While they're actively trying to stereotype straight white males <laughs> or modernizing right. NRA, you know, like they, they're trying to create a stereotype. So they don't want anything to get to interfere with that. But anyway, I've said a lot and I showed that clip to give you guys an opportunity to talk about it. Well, I think that that's the point um, that you made that one, they don't bring up anytime the good guy with the gun saves the day. It's not on the news. They don't talk about it for three days long like they do a mass shooter. You know, they, they used the cops that didn't go into the school and stood outside and let it happen and made it sound like, you know, well, I wouldn't go in either with a guy with an AR-15. So they didn't even, you know, put down the cops for not going into the school. It's like the left is bad guy with gun, okay. Good guy with gun, bad. Uh, they, they completely reverse it. And more so, you know, the video that I had at the opening with uh, Susan Hupp, she was in the 90s. What she was testifying on was she was at a diner when a, mass, a shooter came in. And as she said, she left her gun in the car because of the laws. That pastor, that guy left his gun in the car. I don't know if it was because of the laws or he just happened to do that. But in the case of the point I'm trying to make is anytime they regulate this, that's all they're affecting is the law-abiding citizens. The criminals do not care about the law. In fact, they are more happy to know that we cannot be armed or cannot possess a firearm to protect ourselves. So any law that they make... And, you know, like I said, if I can't convince you at the end of the show or during the show, then nothing will. But keep that in mind. Picture that you're at a place and a shooter comes in there and somebody could have stopped that shooter from shooting you or your relative. But because you supported a law that made them not allowed to have that gun with them that day, they couldn't do it. So now you are mortally wounded or somebody you know was shot and killed and you supported a law that allowed it so the good guy with the gun couldn't save the day the cops time to get there from the time they're called any shooter even without a semi-automatic can wreak a, hot, a lot of havoc a person with a knife can wreak a lot of havoc from the time it takes to call it in to the cops to show up and do something it's the good guys there on the spot that have the ability to stop it right then and there as you said you can make them as dead as uh would you say fried chicken yeah it's a term from pulp fiction but yes yeah <laughs> Um, Johnny, did you want to comment on what we just looked at? Well, I mean, the 
the thing that drives me crazy is that uh, you see a, per, a person, let's say, open carrying an AR-15, they got it strapped to their back and they're inside a grocery store. I find it kind of odd. Um, I mean, I don't, I own a couple of AR-15s, but I, I don't carry them around in public. Yeah. But same. whatever the case, I, that doesn't worry me because I figure that if there's somebody that's going to open fire on people, it's not going to be the person who's got the AR-15 strapped to his back and he's wandering around checking out the tomatoes. All right. And in fact, it's the guy with the backpack that scares the hell out of me. And, you know, he w- walks in, he's got a backpack. Now, keep in mind, when I say scares the hell out of me, that doesn't mean I'm I'm scared every time I see that. I'm just saying that at least lit, uh, in a kind of literary sense. Um if the person is walking in with a backpack, they are far, far more likely to be the ones to open fire on people in there than the person walking in with an AR-15. In fact, I cannot think of any time in any, in history where anybody who walked in was just open carrying an AR-15 like that ever hurt anyone. Um, yet, I can't either. Uh, yeah, I mean, really, seriously. I mean, they're they're just going to get out of their car and run in and start shooting people. They're not going to go around you know, checking out the Campbell soup selections. So this is where you have a lot of phony, fake uh, hysteria, you know? I agree. And like I said at the beginning, you know, they're going after the AR-15, which is less than 3%. It's handguns that are used. And for logical reasons, you can conceal that really easy until you're ready to use it. An AR-15, somebody can see you coming with it. It's not as easy to conceal unless you're, you know, wearing a trench coat like uh, Neo from the Matrix, which I haven't seen a shooter really doing that either. Again, not that I think we want to ban handguns, but the point here is it is selective and it has nothing to do with safety, with public safety. It's all about, as you pointed out, Johnny, political victory and nothing else. Right. Absolutely. And yeah, there was recently on uh, Twitter a guy uh, was posted. A guy spent a week standing at a bus stop with his AR-15, and of course, everybody was really just offended by this. And you know, I went into the comments because it was people like uh, David Hogg. You know, he was a survivor from the Parkland shooting that became a uh, an activist, and talking about how dangerous this is and all that. And I said, "What's dangerous?" I said, "This is probably the safest bus stop in that area right now." Uh, Because the guy was clearly there. He was there to make a point, to protest the new laws that were coming out. Uh, But the reaction of everybody, you know, my my own sister is pro-Second Amendment. And when I told her about this, she goes, well, I just don't understand. Why would you stand at a bus stop? And I said, I don't understand. Why should that bother anybody? Like I said, that's the safest bus stop in the uh, county right now. Um, cause he was a good guy with the gun. He wasn't there. Obviously he stood there for a week. He wasn't pulling it out. Like you said, same thing as the guy with the walking through the supermarket with an AR. Um, well, I, I do think that some of that can have a detrimental effect on our second amendment rights. We are always under attack. Uh, I should say gun rights are always under attack at the state level by people who want to take away these rights. And, going around and being obnoxious with them can induce people to take action. And all of a sudden now your rights been taken away from you. And I, by the way, I say when rights taken away from you, you still have the right. You just don't have the protection of that right anymore because the government has passed a rule. Now, obviously you could go to the Supreme court and win it, but you, as you, so, as you said earlier, most of the time people just don't want to go to that. And so what you're going to have is, you're going to have your gun right taken away from you. So 
I would suggest that if you have an AR-15, um, you know, leave it at home and unless you have a really good reason. If you really need protection, uh, carry a handgun with you. Uh, a, a, an AR-15 strapped on your back is really not much of a good weapon to have in a case like this. You really need something you could pull out really quick. And, and not... Don't, and yeah, go ahead. not cause more damage. I mean, you shoot an AR up close in a crowd, you're going to probably hit have the unintended consequence of hitting other people. The pistol, you're more likely to hit the target you're shooting at only. Right. Let and, me make a quick point. Range. Go Let ahead. me make a quick point, um, which is interesting because people were like, well, why didn't Kyle Rittenhouse have a pistol instead? And I pointed out, well, <laughs> ironically, it would have been illegal for Kyle to have a pistol. He right. could only carry an AR-15 or other long-barreled rifle because of the provisions in the gun rights um, that were what made it legal for him to have his gun. Um, I'm sure that if he could have just had a pistol, he probably could have done that too. But it because of the weird ways that our laws work, it creates a situation where he was literally forced to have an AR-15 because it's the only gun he had access to and was the only one he was legally allowed to carry, ironically. Yeah, and I, right. by the way, I should mention that Crystal Kaiser, who has who's going to be facing trial here pretty soon, she did carry a gun to kill her uh, pimp, basically, and they're all going to be rallied around her. For that trial, the gun's not going to matter. Oh, no, it doesn't make any difference. She was doing self-defense. So the hypocrisy is going to be massive. Um, no matter what gun Kyle used, he was going to get criticized for it. Can you imagine if he had shot those dudes with a shotgun, what the hysteria would have been like? So it doesn't matter. By the way, you have a, a comment on here. This get along to go along bullshit is why we are here. Sorry about the profanity. I don't know if that bothers you any, but no, it doesn't bother us. Okay. <laughs> but you know, it's 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 not being a jerk about it. Um, if you if you push this hard enough, they can take action and they will go to their legislature and they will pass bills that diminish your rights. They will do it. And they have done it in other places. Go to California. I lived there for a long time. And don't tell me that they can't take away your rights or at least take away, take away the protections for your rights. They absolutely will do it. So you have to be very careful. It's called being, you know, a little bit savvy, a little bit smart about things. Yeah. And let's keep in mind that the government doesn't give you rights. Government can either protect those rights or they can violate and take those rights away, but they don't give you rights. The second amendment is clear. It's not the government giving you the right to keep and bear arms. It's the government's not allowed to infringe upon that right for you to keep and bear arms. Right. And most people don't recognize or understand the difference in the two. Um, they generally look for the government and say, do we have permission to do this? Are we allowed to do this? That's not how, particularly in America, it's supposed to work. Um, the other way around, the government's supposed to say, do we have permission to do this? Is it okay if we do this? Um, and we've gotten away from that. We really have. And it's interesting. I, you know, last show, Neil and I brought up the uh, colleges, and there's a very much communist colleges out there for the most part. It's the way I feel about it. And having said that, as we bring it back to uh, our buddy David Hogg that we were talking about, um, he's off at Harvard, and of course he keeps posting all this stuff anti-gun, you know, it's the guns, it's the guns, as we talked about. So he came on uh, Twitter and he said, hey guys, I just learned that the Second Amendment doesn't actually give the individual the right to own a gun. And what he did is he put up a graphic and quoted uh, Chief Justice Warren Berger, who said, on, and if you give me a second here, he said, on the true meaning of the Second Amendment, 
The gun lobby's interpretation of the Second Amendment is one of the greatest pieces of fraud on the American people by special interest groups that I've ever seen. The real purpose of the Second Amendment was to ensure that state armies, the militia, would be maintained for defense of the state. The very language of the Second Amendment refutes any argument that it was intended to guarantee every citizen an unfettered right to any kind of weapon he or she desires. This is the kind of stuff that they're teaching in Harvard about our rights. Now, of course, this has been, I mean, just the Federalist Papers, anything that you read about the Founding Fathers disproves what Justin Warren Berger has to say. But interesting enough, the left is so tolerant. You know, they're, they're, they're for the gays. They're for the trans people. Justin Warren Berger was very much homophobic and had a lot of mean stuff to say about gay people. Didn't seem to bother David Hogg when he wanted to quote him to suit his, ad- suit his agenda, though. And it's the same thing that they do. Go ahead. That's a very common problem, unfortunately, on the left. The whole, you know, I call it the strange bedfellows thing that they will turn on and off their support of somebody as it is uh, convenient in the moment. Like, for example, um, simping for Liz Cheney, like suddenly all of her sins are forgiven, even though she is anti-assault rifle ban. Not that that's a bad thing. Probably the only thing about her that I agree with. Right. But she's also, you know, all these other things that the left claims to hate. She's pro-Israel. She's, you know, anti, you know, abortion, but all of that gets washed away like like as if she was baptized because she, she talked Trump. bad about Trump. Right. Yep. <laughs> you know, and they were all like, oh, she should run for president. And like even prominent leftists like Robert Reich, you know, who's a progressive voice yeah. saying Liz Cheney for president. I'm like, you're on freaking crack. So <laughs> well, um, I, wanted I think to he share, is if you read his post. <laughs> well, yeah, I wanted to share a couple things, you know, like one of which is a personal anecdote. And then I wanted to discuss the, you know, because we're bringing up communists, the ironically Marxist perspective on gun control. Um, that I feel that I, I doubt those kids in the university are being taught this. But I want to start, first of all, with my experiences at Occupy Detroit as opposed to Occupy Flint. The Occupy camps were always set up in very rough neighborhoods. And the Occupy Detroit camp was very rarely ever armed. Like, And it was usually only because somebody from Occupy Flint was present. In contrast, everybody from Occupy Flint usually had a pistol on their hip. And here's the difference. Occupy Detroit was constantly fraught with problems from the local gang members, from the local drug dealers, from the local, you know, violent people in the area. Nobody messed with Occupy Flint. And that was actually one of my first exposures to open carry. Like, this is how, you know, we've been misled about our rights. Like, when I came to Occupy Flint, I was like, wow, that's legal, because I didn't know. I didn't know you could just walk around with a pistol on your hip. And then I remember the first night I was there, you know, the cops pulled up and talked to us. And they were super nice to us. And they said that they liked that Occupy Flint was armed because they noticed the crime rates in the surrounding area went down because they knew there's this armed camp of people, you know, like right there in the neighborhood, you know. Um, So I wanted to bring this up and I'm not going to delve super deep into it, but it's relevant because, you know, these people who consider themselves Marxists right now and I want to be very clear. Yeah, I'm left leaning, but I'm not a Marxist, but they don't discuss the fact And I think this will be a good segue into what you want to talk about in the second hour about the nature of the Second Amendment. Um, You know, but Karl Marx, uh, under no pretext should arms and ammunition be surrendered. Any attempt to disarm the workers must be frustrated by force if necessary. 
And when I found this quote, it was really interesting because, of course, the modern Marxist movements don't like this and they try to just add context to it that he never said. And I've read articles to that effect. And I will provide this to anybody who wants to read it. But I just happened to find, you know, the very article that Karl Marx is being quoted from there. And he was, you know, obviously he's talking about a communist revolution, which nobody on this broadcast is, is on board with. But when you think about it, the communists believed that what they were trying to do was oppose tyranny. And so Karl Marx made it, makes it abundantly clear in this letter that his concern is that the proletariat, which he believes are the people, always need to be armed to protect themselves in the event that the bourgeoisie or the wealthy that they think are basically any tyrants might show up and try to cause them problems. And they, that he understood, for example, that even within his socialist communist utopia, that you would always have to be vigilant for the possibility that some kind of tyranny might rise. And the reason that this is extremely relevant to me, and I feel it is you know, a great segue into what we're going to be discussing about the Founding Fathers and the origins of the Second Amendment, is it's a very similar understanding that the citizenry needs to be armed in the event that a tyrant tries to take control of their government. And nobody gets taught, nobody gets taught, taught about this. They're very selective about how they go about teaching Marxism in college. And of course, they also don't bring any of the true history up about anything that happened in the Soviet Union. And I got kids right now who are gushing over China like it's the most beautiful place ever. Um, even though China is known to be a racist country, it's known to have all kinds of other problems that none of these kids would ever want to live with, you know, but they're being lied to. I talked about this with Lear Keith. She's uh, one of my leftist guests that I had not long ago. And she's like, how the hell are these people becoming Stalinists? Who the hell is telling them this stuff? You know, <laughs> Harvard. <laughs> right. Apparently so. You know, but if you read this article in context, he makes it abundantly clear. He's, you know, because what the Marxists have tried to do as far as damage control about this since then is they try to say, well, he would have been for taking everybody's guns away afterwards. And I'm like, uh, it's interesting that you don't have any quotes where he's saying that because he doesn't say that in this article. He makes it abundantly clear that the people, his proletariat, has to be armed at all times to protect themselves from tyranny. He understood you know, and it, it's the same concept, ironically, that comes that, that the far right is then in, you know, and just even just regular right is going to quote regarding the founding fathers and the need for people to be armed to protect themselves from the possible tyranny that could arise in their government. Right. And probably the only thing Karl Marx and I might agree on here. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, um, the as, as I keep talking about the Democrats, I do want to make it clear that. All the legislation that passed, it takes both parties. Why I'm picking on the Democrats is because right now, everywhere I go, they're very vocal about all this. And, of course, Joe Biden is up there right now, uh, probably at least once a day on social media, talking about common sense gun control legislation. Um, you know, the Democrats sit there and they'll tell you Fox News are liars. Fox News are liars. We hate Fox News. They lie. They should be banned. Then Fox News puts out a poll that says 80% of gun owners support gun control. And all of a sudden they share the poll like it's the holy grail of their argument. And I'm like, well, I thought Fox News was liars, you know, um, which I do believe when they put a poll up like that, that they are liars. But when you think about it, and we'll go in here, I've got a graphic, Neil, before we get into the history and talk about the founding fathers. Sure. Um, and I'm, I'm sure Johnny can appreciate this and want to go over it. But um, 
what they're proposing, what they consider common sense gun control. And let's remember that they use terms like this, like common sense gun control. Like that's all it is. Like this is just common sense. Everybody should be for it. You know, it's all common sense. We ban uh, fully automatic weapons. It's just common sense. Nobody should have a fully automatic weapon. Um, so are we going to do that for the government as well? You know, can we all agree that nobody should have it or is it just certain people should have it? Um, but right now what they're talking about, and I'll, I'll break these down, Johnny, and I can break these down for everybody, but they've got banned assault weapons and high capacity magazines, strengthened background checks or universal background checks, uh, enact safe storage laws. That one makes me laugh. Red flag laws, repeal the immunity that protects gun manufacturers from liability, raise minimum age to purchase a gun to 21 and a waiting period for gun purchases. Now, for most of this, and I think, Johnny, you probably could agree with me that if they call this common sense, the way they word it, they can get people to agree. You can People can say, well, yeah, I agree. We should have background checks. I, I, I think even Neil and I had a conversation on that. So yeah, I, We can get into that for sure. Go ahead. Yeah. Now, we, we basically talked about assault rifles, and they ban assault rifle. This is, as we said, they're going to ban a particular type of what they call an assault rifle. It's never been truly defined what an assault rifle is. And I think by the simple definition of an assault, if you start bashing somebody over the head with a hammer, you now have an assault hammer. So if you shoot somebody with a gun, whether it's a bolt action 308 or an AR-15, you've now assaulted them. You have an assault rifle. But it's a political word. And, I mean, if you really want to know, the term assault rifle actually started in World War II with the Germans and the STG-44. It was called the uh, Sturmgewehr 44. And Gewehr, yeah, really was an excellent gun. Uh, the Gewehr is the German word for rifle, and Sturm is storm, so storm rifle, which was translated into assault rifle. Um, this basically was the first gun that had featured an intermediate cartridge, had select fire, so you could switch between burst rounds and fully automatic um, it was compact, so it was easier to carry, um, and it had the combined characteristics of a carbine, submachine gun, and an automatic rifle. It's basically designed for close quarters, for assaulting, like in an urban setting, things like that. So that's where the term assault rifle came from. And throughout the years, the politicians just kind of ran with it for anything that they wanted to use to make sound scary. Did you have any comments on that, Johnny? Uh, no, not really. I think that he's so far right on track. I think that the Sturmgewehr was wasn't that produced for paratroopers primarily. Yes, and yeah. then you know it turned into the MPs, you know, which was machine pistols. So you had like the MP44. Um, yeah, I think that one sold for like four million dollars recently. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, that'd be quite have, the, to get say, a hand They have a gun that looks like an AK-47, don't they? Like before there was such a thing? Well, that would have been the Sturmgewehr because it really influenced the AK-47. And I mean, even the AR-10 was influenced by it. So, um, yeah, I would say you could, I wouldn't say you would confuse the, the SG-44 SDG with an AK, but if you don't know anything about guns, maybe I could see that for sure. Right. Um, one thing I would also comment on is if the devil is in the details, you say, this is what you want. Give us the details. Then I will decide whether I support it. And pretty much in every case, I don't. And for example, we should have everybody carry insurance on their guns. Oh, okay. So 
if I accidentally shoot my wife at night in the kitchen, I get an insurance settlement. Cool, right? Or, or <laughs> she does. I don't know who gets the settlement. <laughs> well, I mean, so the question now becomes, you know, who? When does a settlement give? When is it given out? The details. Tell us right. the details, and that's on, the only way that you can gauge these things. These sort of um, very glossy summaries that they present are not enough for us to gauge the quality of the actual argument. You have to ask them, what do you mean by this? And that's when the idiocy of their arguments start, starts to manifest. Uh, 100% agree. Um, you know, and that's the same thing. You know, they, they, I, from what I can tell and research that what they talk about high capacity magazines is any magazine that can hold more than 10 rounds. Um, Again, to the non-gun owner, this might sound like common sense. I'm like, okay, well, you know, nobody needs to have a 40-round magazine. Realizing all the things you can do. One, again, a criminal's not going to care. He's not going to put down the 40-round magazine and switch it out for a 10-round magazine just because of the law. But two, there's so many things you can do. Tape two, round, two magazines together and quickly flip them over. Uh, the guy who's planning on offing himself after a mass shooting or going down shooting with the cops, he doesn't care if he drops one magazine, it lands on the ground, and he walks away and plugs another one in. Um, he's not going to stop to pick it up or make sure that he puts it away somewhere where he can retrieve it again. So again, when they talk about common sense, I don't see any common sense in this. I mean, it, it, it sounds like it feels good, like, oh, well, you shouldn't have a magazine with 30 or 40 rounds. Or if you only have 10 rounds, you have to switch it out so you can do less damage. People have more time. The time that it takes to switch out these magazines and continue firing, even at 10 rounds, if you know what you're doing, you can do a lot of damage regardless. There's no common sense that I see behind that. Dylan Roof just had like a standard magazine capacity pistol. I think they were 10 round clips. Um, he had no problem switching them out and shooting people at close range. Right. Um the other thing they have on the list is the background checks. I don't know why I switched graphics here on you, but I wanted to keep the other one up. But the background checks. Now, uh, let's clarify some things here because you and I talked about this off the air. You, Neil, I think you said you could understand background checks. Um, first of all, if you buy a gun from any FFL, which is a federal um, firearms licensed dealer, you go through what's called the InstaCheck or the NICS, which is the National Instant Criminal Background Check System. What they're talking about by strengthening it or universal background checks is private gun sales. Okay. Uh, right now, that's what they, if you ever heard them talk about, you can go to a gun show and buy from a private owner and there's no background check. That is true. And that's what they want to fix. They want, to, if I were to sell a gun to you or to my buddy or to my, um, if I was going to uh, will it to my son, background check would have to happen. Right now, I can give my gun to my son and no background check has to happen. Uh, in the state of Pennsylvania, where I live, in order to sell a pistol privately, you still have to go through an FFL dealer and do a transfer with the background check, but only a pistol. Other states don't even have that. You can do a private sale of a pistol. So, again, background check may sound like common sense, but what you're going to have is if a criminal wants to do something with a gun and he doesn't pass the background check, one, I doubt he's going to go get one and alert people that he's getting a gun, but two, He'll, you'll create a second crime. He'll most likely break and enter into somebody's house to steal a gun. He'll go buy it on the black market. I mean, it, it's um, it's another infringement on us, and it's another way to database us and what kind of gun we have and does nothing to actually 
curb crime. They're, they're showing no evidence that it in any way eliminates crime or brings the level of those numbers and the stats that they like to point out down. So, so Johnny, do you want to comment on that before I say something? Well, I look at this one strictly from a constitutional standpoint, and that is um, if I want to purchase a firearm, um, I have a right to own a firearm. Who can deny me that right? A judge can. Um, a judge can you know, take away the various constitutional arguments based on your threat to society versus your right to own a firearm and make a decision. That is constitutional. Um, the police denying you the right is not. And this, the problem I have with the background checks is that, um, and it goes the same with the red flag laws. Um, you know, you're denying, the wrong people are denying the right to own firearms. And I say to the gun sense people, if you don't want somebody to own a firearm, get a court order. That's how it's done. And, and by the way, I know a lot of you might be thinking, well, that's, you know, no, no, a judge can't have that kind of power. Yes, a judge can. A judge can issue a court order denying you the right to own a gun, and that is constitutional because a judge can make constitutional decisions. But this whole thing about allowing government agencies like the FBI and the police to deny you the right to own a gun, uh-uh, no, I ain't going for that. Right. And go ahead, Neil, you wanted to make a point. Well, I just like, I want to be clear about something is that, um, I, you know, I think a large part of the background checks you're already talking about that are in place. I'm of the opinion that I feel that those should be the only thing that I would ever be willing to consider is like, and I would ask you guys what you think about this is what about the mental health of someone and how do we equate how to handle that? Because, you know, like most of these guys obviously do these shootings, in many cases, unfortunately, people didn't realize that they had mental health problems. But if somebody very clearly does, how could, you know, like, I know, for example, the Evaldi shooter was able to purchase their gun legally. I'll, I'll answer that. Court order. That's how it's done. You go to the judge and you say, here's his mental um, records. Can this person have a gun? And the judge can look at that and make that decision. Um, because you ask, well, I mean, who gets to determine whether this person is mentally sane to own a firearm, to have his rights denied. Well, um, you think a psychiatrist can do that? Who here believes that a psychologist should be allowed to just deny somebody uh, their constitutional rights? Yeah, I don't. And, you know, to make the point further, because you and I talked about it off the air, uh, Neil, you were talking about, you know, some hardened criminal gets out, they shouldn't have the right to a gun. My point was, is if they're that bad of a person, why are they let out of jail? If you don't think that they have a right to the gun, why are they even let out on the streets if they're that bad of a person? One. And two, once they get out on the streets and they're off probation, off parole, whatever, uh, don't they get their rights back if at, at some point? Or do they never, once you go to jail once, you never get your rights back? Um, and three, if you're a hardened criminal who committed a violent crime and got out because of a DA or something... Again, you don't care about a background check or anything. You'll obtain the gun any way you want to without going through legal means. So the background check is, once again, just an infringement, um, particularly as um, he said, Johnny said, when you have law enforcement deciding, it's an infringement on your right, and it's not stopping the criminals. Well, I want to make it abundantly clear, since I'm kind of being quoted about things I said off the air, is that yeah. um, it more has to do with the fact that I'm my thoughts on these sorts of things are still formulating. 
Um, I know I'm kind of generally leaning in the shall not be in fringe direction. My point about it is, is that if we were going to suggest, you know, any kind of background checks, you know, I would be more interested in something to that effect rather than say banning guns as a whole. I don't believe we should be banned from owning any firearms. If there was going to be any question about it, then as a society, like you said, well, Johnny said judges, how does that process start? Does somebody have to do it, you know, initiate that? Does somebody have to try to file an injunction against someone else owning a firearm? Yes. That's that's what you would have to do. Right, because then, you know, the red flag laws, as he pointed out, if I say Neil's crazy, he shouldn't have a gun, and the cops are allowed to just storm in your house and see if you have a gun, don't you think that that's bad? I mean, that's swatting for the most part. If I go to a judge, the judge is going to say, prove to me, why should Neil not have a gun? What has he done? What can you show me that says he is not capable of owning a firearm? And I provide that evidence that's solid. We assume that the judge doesn't have an agenda, is not corrupt, and is true constitutional. That's what Johnny is suggesting there. Now he can say, I see your point. This person should not have a gun. Then let's go in. But to basically swat somebody and say, yeah, Neil's crazy. And he, uh, yeah, he's just one of them crazy leftists out there, man. I don't think that guy should have a gun. I mean, you don't, you don't want that to happen. So then, okay, so that at that point, well, it kind of brings you back to like something I also said off the air was that, you know, I've been watching a lot of Westerns lately, and I kind of tend to lean in the direction that all of this kind of goes away if everybody just makes it a habit of being armed. One of the biggest problems that we have right now is not that there are guns, it's that some people have them and some people don't. Inevitably, people are going to have guns. And, you know, so the issue that I like, you know, I remember I was sitting down watching, what was it? I think it's called deadwood but it was a hbo show and you know like then i was thinking about a mass shooting that had happened around the same time and i'm just like how far would this guy have gotten if he walked into a western town and just started shooting people you know very far right exactly and that that's the direction that i'm heading i just want to be clear that we're not misrepresenting what my beliefs are and how hard i am on them when it comes to my audience but the the main primary point is in general i lean towards the direction of most people should definitely have firearms um, as far as like when you when you say, for example, well, if they're that dangerous of a criminal, maybe they shouldn't be getting out of jail. Well, then we've got to look into, well, wh- what is the line on that and how long how often are you going to be willing to put people away for life? You know, well, um, I agree. But again, once they get out and complete their parole or their um, yeah, anything like that, uh, don't they get their rights back? OK, so the, the law is that if they have been convicted of a felony. Um, they lose their right to own a weapon pretty much forever. And my concern, well, first of all, I'm not even sure I even like that idea, but right. if, you are, if you are convicted of a non-violent uh, felony, I don't think you should lose your right at all. I mean, somebody swindles somebody on, on an accountant deal. Why should he lose his right to uh, protect himself because of something like that? Right. But let's suppose that he has been convicted of a violent felony and he gets released. Um, Should he lose his right to own a firearm? I can see both sides of that argument. There's obviously a constitutional argument. He's paid his debt to society. He should be able to recover all of his rights that he had before. But I also understand that because he's been convicted of a violent felony, he poses a certain danger to the community. Okay, I get it. Um, by the way, if your governor uh, essentially uh, pardons you, you get your rights back. 
So right. Oh, and I, I also want to be clear on something because this actually happened in the Kyle Rittenhouse deal. You can have your felony expunged means nothing as far as your gun rights. You still don't get those back. You need a pardon. Right. So he loses his Second Amendment right, but he doesn't lose his First Amendment, his Fourth or his Fifth Amendment, meaning right. if he gets caught and he goes back to court, he they accuse him of another crime after he got out, um, he can still plead the Fifth. He just can't own a gun is all we're saying. So we're, we're kind of nitpicking what rights he gets back and which rights he doesn't. And again, if he's a violent criminal, um, I don't think he cares about a background check. So I think it's a moot point, to be honest well, with you. And I understand also the argument that if he was a violent criminal, you let him out. So you're basically saying that he no longer poses a threat to society by letting him go. So why are you now taking away his right to a gun? I can see both sides of that argument. Right. That's all I'm saying. Um, whether he really should lose his rights forever, I don't believe so. I think there has to be some way for this person to retrieve his rights, whether he gets them back immediately upon release. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's, well, a, that's what I said. Usually, usually when you're released, you still have some time of um, probation period where you got to still report to like a probation officer for, for a period of time, a year, well, two years, depending. Yeah. Not always. Yeah, I agree. But. I would make, it's really important to make a distinction about violent felonies as opposed to nonviolent felonies. Right. Like, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think of a felony offhand that's not violent. It's been a while since I looked at it, but like, I don't know, some guy sold some marijuana. Why well, would that a large theft? Right. Well, yeah, like that's that's different. But whereas like you're an armed robbery suspect, well, now we're in a different conversation, you know, like or convicted armed robber for that matter. You embezzlement. Know, like... embezzlement is a felony. OK, because money's been entrusted to you. You took it. And OK, fine. I don't think a person should lose their right to own a firearm once they get released from their whatever prison sentence they've basically undergone. Right. So it's still probably in, based on your argument, Johnny, go back to a judge. You get your violent criminal and you get released. The judge at that point, whatever period you go and petition the court to get your second amendment right back. And you either prove to him that you're no longer a violent criminal and you deserve it, or you don't. Um, and that, by the way, that, that raises another question though, is what's, where's the burden of proof on? Right. I mean, I agree with you. But again, getting back to the point of the background checks, um, which is where this started, uh, and people saying, well, you don't want violent criminals to have it. I, I don't think they care if they're about ready to commit another violent crime, whether they pass the background check or not. That's my sole point. Well, so, and I think uh, another really good example of something that involves this is like, you know, the no due process that's necessary when you get a restraining order against you. They're actually supposed to show up and take your guns and cops do that. Usually the same time that they're serving the restraining order. And the thing about restraining orders is that they could be done ex parte, meaning that the person getting one literally shows up at court and talks to the judge and convinces them to believe you that the person is a danger to you and you're not even present. Right. You can later go back and fight it, but there is no real penalty for doing something like one, you know, like a personal protection order and then doing so under false pretenses. And I've seen that happen more than once, particularly if you're in a divorce proceeding, um, you know, a lawyer will advise a, you know, a person, usually a woman, uh, to get themselves a quickie divorce by getting a restraining order um, so that they could take possession of the house. And then, of course, 
you know, they can include the kids in the restraining order. And once again, no due process. This is all ex parte. And they're going to show up and take your firearms. Um, you know, and that that's an example of something that would definitely kind of lead me to the conclusion of, I'm not so sure that this is okay. Because again, there's no due process. You know, like maybe, you know, after the fact. But I think at the end of the day, also talking about, if we're talking about crimes of passion. If you're getting a restraining order because you're worried about domestic violence, anybody who's angry enough at you before is certainly going to be angrier at you when you take their guns and they're probably going to go get another one. If that's the plan that they were going to, you know, that they're going to come after you for it. Does that make sense to you guys? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a complete infringement and definitely something that would have to be changed. But since this is all about control and eventually a ban, why would they change that? That's just one way that they can take control and take a gun from somebody. So, I mean, wrong as it is, and it definitely is wrong and should not happen. Um, that's some place where we should focus a change on for sure. By the way, just so that everybody is on the on the same page as far as what this all means, um, they do go in and they take your firearms. They there is a certain time for which they have to prove that they can keep them. So it, it's not quite like they could just walk in, grab your firearms, and then you lose them. Uh, you know, totally. Right. The Either. other one is, do you guys remember about a few years ago where um, they actually demanded, ordered a person to turn in his guns because of a domestic violence deal? He refused to do it. So she broke into his home and stole his guns. And she ended up going to jail for that one. I mean, this is in Florida. Does anybody remember that case? No. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She got arrested for burglary. Right. And of course, her argument was, well, they... No, they weren't going to take his guns. So I had to go do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know, the crazy things people do. Um, moving down the list here so we can get through it. The uh, enact safe storage laws. Um, again, it seems like common sense and to pass a law. Most gun owners I know, there are obviously dumb gun owners out there. I've been around some of them. Not for too long, but, you know, they, they exist. But uh, high percentage, very high percentage of gun owners I know are about safety and they do lock their guns up in a safe. My pistol is next to my bed, but it's in a safe that I can quickly access, but my children and other people cannot. My rifles are locked in a gun safe and I have the key to them. I know plenty of gun owners that are like this. Um, but what they want you to do is lock your guns up in one safe and your ammunition up in another safe. It seems like common sense to people begs the question, What's this have to do with the law-abiding citizen compared to the criminal? So, again, is the criminal going to go out and buy two saves and lock them up? How are they going to enact this law? This is my question. What are they going to do to police this? Do they wait for, like you said, the, the, the ex-wife to call it in and say, hey, he doesn't have his guns locked up and his ammo in a different place? How do they even police that? That's kind of a crazy law. I mean, what are you trying to prevent? If somebody breaks in and steals the gun, they can get ammo, and that's not a problem for them. If they can break into your gun safe to steal your gun, they'll break into your ammo safe next. I mean, I've been looking at that recently because I'm going to be a firearm owner soon, and Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan just signed a law that's going to force us to store them properly and not have ammunition together. And, like, for example, I'm not going to be allowed to have guns anywhere where my minors could get to them. And I'm like, well, what happens if my kids need to be armed to protect us? You know, like <laughs> there's a lot of, but also like how you're going to come like, you know, it's, I guess, like you said, how are you going to enforce it? It would literally just have to be somebody who had to be in their bonnet about you would have to tell on you, 
you know, I witnessed yeah. this It's something like it, it's definitely a, a, a quote unquote crime that you, you have a hard time understanding. How are they going to enforce this? It, it's like, it's like the, you know, uh, speeding, they pull you over for speeding and then they, uh, find something else. They, they smell alcohol in your breath or smell cannabis in your car. Uh, they would be at your house for some other reason and then notice that you have a gun out or something like that. Uh, or somebody calls it in on you. Uh, you know, it's interesting that they keep focusing on the kids with this. Um, I got my first guns when I was a teenager. I inherited them from my grandfather. Um, but before that, my dad took us out shooting and taught us how to shoot. And when I grew up, uh, he didn't have it locked in the safe. He had a gun rack mounted on the wall with his guns up there. And we were taught, you know, if you hear somebody breaking in the house, here's where you go and what you do. Um, it wasn't like hide under the bed. It was grab this gun. And, you know, I remember I lived up on the mountains of New Mexico in the middle of nowhere. And it was just my sister and I at home. Um, parents are 45 minutes away because they're down in the city. And we heard this loud pounding on the door, scared the hell out of us. And then somebody trying to jiggle the drawer like they were trying to get in. Um, you know, my sister immediately ran and grabbed the phone to call my parents. And the first thing my dad said, did Brian grab the gun? And I said, yes, I have the gun. And he said, well, I want you to go upstairs, lock the bedroom door and do this, you know, made us basically wait there. Um, you know, meaning don't sit there in front of the front door and wait for the person to break in, wait for them to come all the way through. And dad was like having kids near a gun is a big no, no. Like you're some kind of bad person. And, to me, that's just weird because, again, I grew up with them. So um, the fact that people were making it sound like some big taboo that you take your kids shooting. Um, you know, I saw Thomas Massier and uh, Lauren Boebert pose uh, for Christmas cards with their family and kids holding guns and everybody giving them shit about it on social media. But aside from taking the photo and sending it a Christmas card, that's how I grew up. So I found it not offensive and a no big deal. And I thought, well, good for them for teaching their kids young and and starting them early um, my kids for sure are going to go to the gun range with me and learn gun safety as soon as i can start teaching them um as i said before i'm 90 or more of the gun owners i know are all about safety and you know that's the first lesson you get the first lesson i got from my father was you know how to respect the gun and and safely use it yeah i mean i grew up on a ranch i i had my first uh, 30 30 at nine and the crazy thing about it was, is that the gun rack was in my bedroom. <laughs> so it was like, and of course these were just rifles, right? Bolt action, mostly deer rifles and stuff. Uh, no handguns. We didn't have those out there on the ranch, but yeah, I mean, um, I grew up with guns and I just looked at them as like, so what? Right. But, yeah. I mean, that's, that's how it was. Even my friends who came over to the house didn't make a big deal of it. None of the parents, the, you know, that my friends that um, we knew made a big deal of us having guns in the house. It's this modern day thing where it's some kind of big deal. And incidentally, as we talk about stats, accidental crimes, you know, people, kids pulling out a gun and shooting a relative is uh, well less than 2% of all gun um, deaths. So it's not even up there on the stat chart. And I think you're seeing a lot more of it now because of the social media. So many idiots going out there posing with the cameras, shooting each other. <laughs> right. So, yeah, moving on. Uh, we did red flag laws. Repeal the immunity that protects gun manufacturers. This is becoming a big talking point for those who want to, I guess, stop gun violence. They figure if they sue the gun manufacturers, mass shootings will stop. I'm not sure that that's 
really what they believe, but I think what they're trying to do is run the gun manufacturers out of the business. Right. Um, to make a point, the government stopped, um, this was 20 plus years ago, even longer, that we weren't allowed to sue the makers of uh, pharmaceutical drugs anymore because they were getting so many lawsuits that they were about to go out of business. So Congress stepped in and passed a law that made them immune to the lawsuits. They did the same thing with the gun manufacturers. You're not allowed to sue a gun manufacturer because somebody went out and shot somebody with it, but they want to repeal that. Okay. And this is on Joe Biden's list of things he wants to do. Now think about that. That is like um, going and suing Ford because somebody killed one of your family members in a drinking driving accident while driving a Ford. You get to now go and sue Ford for it. That's what they're talking about. Want to make a quick point about this? Um, ironically, this is something that Bernie Sanders got raked over the coals for in 2016 because he voted against this, as in he does not agree that, that um, gun manufacturers should be sued for incidents like that. I just thought that was an interesting point because they wouldn't leave him alone about it during the 2016 primary because he comes from Vermont. You can't get elected as a senator there if you're a gun grabber. But um, the main point is just that he, even he felt that this was unreasonable, um, you know, and it is. There's, it's asinine to suggest that we should be able to sue gun manufacturers, you know, for things done with guns. I mean, we're not going to sue Cutco if somebody gets stabbed. And, you know, my feeling about it is, is that um, if you don't want guns, legislation is how you do it. Oh, or the fact that it's unconstitutional do that? Well, that's just too bad. Uh, if the state allows it and the government allows it, you can't sue the manufacturer if they're obeying the law. Um, they're selling a product that is legal. Um, and if the product was used in a way that for which it was intended and state law says that it can be used for that purpose, you got no claim against the manufacturer. And ultimately... The gun manufacturers will win these suits. Um, the it, trouble, it's just costly. That's the problem. Yeah, the Run them out of business is, by spending their money. It's the same problem that we have with the insurance argument. These are not designed to actually solve the problem. It's designed to basically find a way around so that you can take away a right. And they and they betray that all the time when they talk about, well, we're going to run the gun manufacturers out of business. Oh, really? You have just admitted that you're violating the Second Amendment. You know, right. This is not about, um, you know, compensating victims of something terrible. This is all about denying people's rights. You just admitted it. And it's the same thing with the insurance. We'll the insurance companies will take care of these gun manufacturers. Well, if you just admitted now that the whole purpose of your legislation is to deny people the right to own guns, and there it goes. Yeah. And obviously, <laughs> insurance, you know, if you have to go and get insurance, it's a way for them to catalog and track you um, where you would normally not be for that and say, I'm not telling you what guns I have, you know, forget it. Mm -hmm. But if you're required to go get insurance, it would. But it's it's the uh, slippery slope that people seem to miss with this kind of things. You know, I hear solutions like, well, let's let's um, let's make the government tell the gun ammunition manufacturers that they have to charge this much for bullets. So the prices are so high that it's almost impossible for people to buy them. Um, I mean, one, it's obviously an ignorant thing because you don't know how bullets are made and, you know, how reloading is done. But two, it's always a slippery slope. That means that anything that you don't like at this point, we can now have the government regulate pricing on or require insurance on to get rid of. And right now it might work for you. You might champion and say, yes, we got rid of guns. 
But when it doesn't work for you, when we find something else to do that with, and it's something you like and enjoy, you're not going to like it too much. All way, this creates a slippery slope. Yeah, there's another. If you want to counter that argument, you can just simply say, "Well, then all those chemicals that they use for, um, you know, gender affirmation. What if we just make that so expensive that nobody could ever afford to do it? They would say oh, that's <laughs> unconstitutional. Well, that's exactly what right. they're doing. Uh, by the way, I should mention here that Citizen Ann has showed up. That's uh, Ann Fiedler. She is one of the witnesses in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. So just to let you know. Affectionately referred to as Grambo. Grambo. <laughs> <laughs> Both Johnny and I, I, did you get a chance to interview Grambo? I know that you've at least been on the same time, um, you know, but yeah, for sure. Um, I, I interviewed Grambo um, back before it was cool. Um, <laughs> and I say that because that's my joke, because uh, what happened is, ironically, um, I... I was the only person who got that interview and Fox news wanted her, you know, like a bunch of other places wanted her and she wasn't comfortable, but she came on my show and I tried to get Google ads and they wouldn't allow me to advertise the interview because of quote unquote shocking content. <laughs> so I couldn't even give Google my money to advertise the conversation. And we didn't show any footage. Like there was nothing graphic, you know, it was just she and I talking about what took place that evening. Um, but it's great always to have her here and you know, I'm sure that we'll be seeing her on future panels as well um, going forward along with photo chat and, you know, some of the other people that we've interviewed. Um, so, but anyway, go ahead and continue. Okay. Well, the next two I'm going to combine together so we can get through this, but there's raised the minimum age to purchase to 21 and a waiting period for gun purchases. Um, obviously the raising the age, uh, again, the amount of people under the age of 21 committing these crimes, if you take out gang violence, is very, very, I mean, the stat doesn't even make the charts again. And what gangster cares whether you raise the age to 21 or not. Um, the waiting period for gun purchase, anybody, particularly a female who has had a stalker and then had to do a waiting period to get a gun, will tell you right now that no way that they want a waiting period for gun purchase. And it's being touted as this will give you time to cool off and think about it. Um, again, throughout all these, as we talk about, it, I don't see the common sense. I don't see where a person with intent with criminal intent to do something particularly bad with a gun cares about any of this. They will find a way to get it. They will use it and they won't care about your age limit or your waiting period. And of course, again, if you're going to raise the age to own a gun to 21, then we have to raise conscription, you know, the uh, selective service to 21. We have to raise voting to 21. Um, you know, it's it's these arbitrary numbers. You can do this at 18, but you can't do this until you're 21. Um, that's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. As Johnny and I said, we, we owned our guns since we were kids. Um, there's, there's nothing to show that younger people have any activity of crime or contribute to these stats of mass crime. I'd be interested to know. I honestly, I don't even think, I mean, other than the recent uh, trans shooter, how many of these mass shooters are really, you know, are super young? I don't know. They're, um, they're not there. That's what I said. Take out gang yeah. violence, take out, you know, the shootings from gangs and people under 21 aren't there. They're not even a stat. Right. That's kind of what I figured. Go ahead, Johnny. Well, we already have age limits in place um, from a constitutional argument. I'm not sure where it goes from there because you're basically just changing a, an age for one to the other. Um, I kind of feel that 18 should be for everything, right? At 18, you're an adult. So 
you get all that which an adult is allowed to do. And Correct. If you want to raise it to 21, as you mentioned, well, okay. Uh, what about the vote? Oh, well, now we can't do that. Well, okay. You know, we, we the person's not responsible enough to own a gun, but they're responsible enough to vote. All right. You know, again, it's you have to ask, what is the purpose of this? Is, is this purpose really to design to make for a safer society? Or is this just trying to take away people's rights? Right. And, and I mean, I think that's what we... Obviously, the three of us have clearly determined this is about taking away people's rights. But the point of breaking it down is, you know, as we talked about on the breakdown, they can sit there and they use these words, common sense gun control. And if you're not a gun owner, you don't know much about guns and they talk about these things, you can sit there and say, well, yeah, that makes sense. And so when they say 80% of these people support common sense gun control, well, these are just bullet points, and they, as you pointed out, Johnny, they don't really go into more details about what they are and why they're there. And so, again, it makes people think, oh, well, yeah, that, I guess that's common sense. You know, what do I have to say? Twine, 21 years old. That, that, that makes sense to me. Um, you know, okay, safe storage. Yeah, that's common sense. I mean, you know, oh, no, no magazine over 10 rounds. Oh, common sense. It doesn't point out doesn't do anything to show where that will curb or stop crime in any way and therefore all that is in our minds as we've discussed is an infringement on our right and you know clearly a violation of the second amendment the question becomes if anybody's listening who at first thought oh, okay well common sense gun control sounds logical to me now are they going well let me think about this uh yeah you're right there's no common sense behind this or are they holding their position as we suspect they would. By the way, I also should mention that a lot of these uh, common sense gun laws are really just um, very pro-rich, right? Because, for example, gun safes. We're going to require gun safes. I can afford a gun safe, right? I own one. But, I mean, people who have money can afford to abide by these things. But a person who is poor and, by the way, they typically live in very rough neighborhoods. They're the ones that need a gun to protect themselves. They can't afford a gun safe. Gun safes are expensive, right? They can thousands of dollars, right? Well, you can get cheap ones, but still, Johnny's point is still on. I mean, well, you know. and insurance, right? Who who's going to be paying the high insurance rates? It's not going to be the gun um, collector who lives in a one million dollar house who's got forty guns to his name. It's going to be the real poor person who can barely afford his his gun and and since he lives in a very rough area his guns are more likely to be used and stolen they're the ones that are going to have to pay the prices and they're the least ones that can afford it well and i would argue that gun control is rooted in racism i mean that's as you're 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 pointing out without saying it um mm -hmm. it's basically what's happening here oh, um, by the way though carol anderson who's um one of these speakers she's going around her claim is that the Second Amendment is rooted in racism, and that is going to be the next big push. Oh, sorry. Right, which is, uh, you know, the infringement on the Second Amendment is what's um, really rooted in the racism. Uh, and we could do a whole other show on that if we wanted to without a and problem. People make comments all the time when they say, well, you wouldn't like it if black people owned a firearms. I'm like, no, I think I, you should all own firearms. Yeah. First <laughs> of all, I have a graphic on that. I didn't tell you to pull it up, but yes, it came from Twitter. And somebody said, the minute they find out people of color own firearms, the conservatives will change their stance. It's such a bullshit statement. And one, that they continue to point out or try to make it sound like every Republican is a racist um, is all just 
ridiculous. Again, I'm not trying to defend Republicans. I'm a libertarian. Uh, they both have their problems when it comes to – I'm not talking about the Republican voters. I'm talking about politicians. Both the Democrat and uh, Republican politicians side with each other all the time to infringe upon our rights and make laws that suit them and go against us. Both parties are guilty of that without question. But to sit there and play these games and just yell loudly that if you're a Republican, you're racist is ridiculous. I know many Republicans and I know many are not racist. I also know that none of us, no gun owner that I know that I shoot guns with, that I talk to about guns, cares or ever brings up the, the color of a person's skin when talking about guns. I have never seen it when we're at the range and a quote unquote person of color is there. Our conversation is still about what gun they're shooting, what modifications they did. We all talk about, oh yeah, that's a cool gun you got there. We don't walk away and whisper and be like, I can't believe that person has a gun. It doesn't happen. That conversation doesn't exist. In fact, it's always a high, it's a club. It's like, oh, you're at the gun range, high five. We don't care about the color of the skin. You're a part of the club. You are a gun owner. That's it. Nothing else. Um, so to try to point it out and make it sound like if people of color get this, then Republicans will change their tune. No, they won't. They won't change their tune. Republican politicians will remain Republican politicians. Republican voters will remain Republican, Republican voters. But at the end of the day, the color of somebody's skin won't change how they feel about the Second Amendment. Well, they're still in denial about the fact that there are, in fact, people of color who happen to be Republicans, like an awful lot of Hispanics are joining the Republican Party. There's plenty of blacks who are in the Republican Party. And they don't, you know, like, especially when we we're discussing January 6th, like, I remember a part of the video in particular uh, that was about the uh, the what I call the tunnel battle. But basically, it's when one of the real violent moments of the of the day. Um, and there was a black Trump supporter who somehow got knocked unconscious and the MAGA hat wearing people very carefully, you know, picked him up and moved him out of danger. You know, like it wasn't this notion that there's this huge racist element in the Republican party is just silly. And I'm not a Republican at all. You know, I just plenty of friends of mine who are, and they're not racist. That's, that's kind of old school forties thinking. And I'm sure there's individuals who, who are, but there's individuals who are in every, you know, um ideology like they don't like yeah. to, they don't like to be reminded that the buffalo shooter identified himself as a left authoritarian yeah so i you know go ahead sorry they even wrote articles in the rolling stone claiming he was a mainstream republican that were totally fraudulent right if if you're claimed to be a libertarian and then you have some kind of uh hate for a group whether and i've heard people who claim to be libertarians be anti-semitic i completely rule you out as a libertarian at that point um, yeah, I would say across the board, individuals have, um, racism, but don't claim to be something like a libertarian and have hate in you because it's the antithesis of libertarianism. Um, so having said that, if you claim to be a libertarian, but then make a racist comment of some kind, I completely disregard you as a libertarian at that point. Um, and I would say probably the same. You can't claim to be a true conservative if you feel that way either. I mean, true conservativism is rooted in individualism as well when you get down to it. So, But by the way, after the Kenosha shootings, um, they had a protest of basically the acquittal. And guess who showed up to protect the protesters? A black man and his daughter carrying AR-15s. And guess what? Nobody seemed to be really terrified of them. And nobody from the right 
went in there and said, this is terrible. But everybody's, you know, from the right, or I should say, and I shouldn't make this right or left, but gun owners, they all support this. I see nothing wrong with it. He's there to help protect um, the people there. And he's carrying an AR-15, fine. Yeah. And I agree with you. It's hard to, you know, I don't want to make it right and left either. And I do try to point out throughout this that I'm talking about the vocal Democrats that I see on social media. Uh, in my area, particularly, uh, I'm friends with, you know, a lot of Democrats and a good portion of them are gun owners and they are against um, gun control. Now they, they do somewhat tout the line of common sense gun control, but at the end of the day, they're not the extremists that I see online. Um, but they are gun owners. They do understand the difference between um, a criminal and a law abiding citizen. So it's not completely Democrats or 100% Democrats are against this. I do talk about the vocal ones, particularly again, the politicians everywhere from Joe Biden down in the Congress that are on Twitter all day, every day yelling about these bans. I mean, uh, Kamala Har uh, Harris, Everybody has a Twitter post once a day that's talking about we need to ban assault rifles now. And, you know, I it baffles me why they're so passionate and why they go out of their way to do that. Well, what I also want to point out is um, something that occurred to me while I was watching that Showtime series that we just watched a clip from. Um, because they went over a lot of different mass killings and it wasn't all with firearms. But... If somebody is disturbed enough that they want to kill a large part of the population, they're going to find a way like it, it wouldn't even be possible, for example, to make all the components necessary to make a pipe bomb illegal. Right. So you take the Boston Marathon, you know, um, you take uh, Timothy McVeigh. Uh, yep. Timothy McVeigh, uh, the Unabomber who just passed away recently. You know, people are going to find ways to do it. The Weather Underground from the 60s, ironically, the more militant arm of that group, which is kind of like a precursor to the violent Antifa that you see now. They're more radical members who were interested in attacking an Air Force base. They had a bomb. That that was their plan. They were going to blow up an Air Force base. You know, um, and you one of the things about it is and it's ironic because this comes up in V for Vendetta because... He's using explosives, and if you know what you're doing, you can just do it over-the-counter chemicals, things that you could never really make illegal. You know, people often bring up that in China, because obviously they have restrictive firearm laws in China, there was a mass stabbing. Somebody got a knife and, you know, went to a school and just started stabbing everybody there. You know, it's it, it comes back again to if somebody is crazy enough that that's what they're going to do, you know, they're going to find a way, you know, and and as a consequence of that, I don't think that disarming the populace will ever be the solution overall. Um, it comes down to, like I said earlier, if you happen to be a person of color and you're living in one of these crime-ridden neighborhoods, I would implore you to be armed. I would yeah. advise you to be armed. You know, um, and especially, like I said, occupy. Learn how to armed. use it too. Don't just well, buy yeah. it. learn how to yeah, use. Don't it. just learn how to use it. Absolutely. But my point was is that you're not going to be able to rely on the police to be able to handle anything like that. That's why. As much as they're so worried about police violence in these ghettos, I grew up in the ghetto and I remember calling the police once. It took them two hours to get there. The police are barely relevant in, yeah. in, the, in the inner city, because especially in the underfunded inner cities like in Flint, they didn't vote to defund the police. Flint is just so poor that they can only afford about eight police officers to be on call at any given time. And that's a huge city you know, with a big population. 
So anyway, my point was just to say that, you know, it, we have to be able to be in a position to be able to take responsibility to protect ourselves, you know, and inevitably, um, I would implore all of those people to become educated on how to handle it, you know, use your firearm correctly, get trained, learn how to take care of it, etc. Um, it makes perfect sense. And I've never heard any conservatives say to me that they didn't want people in those neighborhoods to own guns. I'm sure that they would rather the criminals didn't have them. You know, but the one thing that takes all of that away is when you're concerned about the possibility that someone else might be armed. And one of the reasons that the gangs were so successful at threatening people with them is because they knew they usually were the only ones who had them. Yes, that's uh, yeah, 100 percent. And, you know, we're running out of time, so we won't get into much of the history of the Second Amendment. But, you know, throughout history the biggest number one killer is governments. Governments are great at killing people and obviously getting away with it. Um, the genocides, everything happens through um, despotic leaders. Um, even our own country, we bomb, we go out, we have drone bombings in other countries. The, the Democrats that I'm talking about that are vocal, they really focus a lot on the stats in our country and not so much what's going on with our foreign policy and what other governments do. And they even post that these weapons don't belong in the streets or in people's houses. They belong on the battlefield as if it's some support for war and for government going around killing people. Um, the founding fathers did not trust governments. They had, they, they saw standing armies as the bane to Liberty. And that was the focus of the Second Amendment. They did not believe that the United States should have a standing army, that we had citizen militia. And again, I'll repeat that. They felt that standing armies were the bane to liberty. And so throughout all that, I mean, you know, historians will tell you the same thing, that they established the Second Amendment so we had the right to fight against tyranny from government, our own or some foreign invader. That was the number one reason. And it's being ignored. People act like, well, that won't happen in the United States. The United States government would never do that. We're the land of the free. Let's not forget about Kent State. We can talk about Ruby Ridge. We can go on. Stuff Waco. has happened. Waco. Um, things like this have happened in our own country, and we ignore it and act like it's only these other countries that it ha happens in. So we go around policing the world. We cause a lot of death and famine around the world from our actions and foreign policy, and yet we sit here and talk about, well, we need to ban these type of guns for the children. Clearly, we only care about certain children, not all children, by that statement. And, you know, again... It makes it hard for foreign countries to want to invade the United States as long as we as citizens have the amount of guns in our hands as we do. I know people will say, well, our U.S. military is the most badass in the world. Some will debate that. But regardless, if all they had to do was beat our military, that'd be one thing. They have to beat our military, and then they have to beat us. And that's another thing. And the amount of citizens in the United States that are armed scares any foreign invader. The underground, the militias that we could create, are very much going to be resource draining to a foreign invader. Well, I also would add on that uh, a lot of the people who sort of knock down that argument, they have in their mind what they think a, such a conflict would look like. And, it, and all the AR-15 owners are going to line up behind bagpipes and they're going to march into like a, a military compound and get mowed down. Uh, these events are not going to go down like that. Right. You're going to have... Um, a situation where there's going to be a lot of violence and the military is not going to know what to do. Uh, these kind of, um, let's say, 
rebellions, for lack of a better word, are typically very confusing and uh, typically they're decided before either side even knows what's happening. And, and I would suggest that the easier or the better, you know, um, let's say example, something like the Spanish Civil War. And so, again, you're going, they think that their drones, the military's drones and their bombers and their tanks, they're going to be completely useless in this kind of uh, action. So, right. and um, you got the fact that, you know, the, our military, they're, they're really here to defend us, not fire upon us. So they're going to have conflict when a politician says, hey, go kill that group of citizens. Now, obviously, again, Mm-hmm. The law enforcement end of it doesn't have a problem. We've proved that with the ATF and with the FBI. The military portion will have more of a problem with that. And it's not just standing armies that we're allowed to protect ourselves from, but individual criminals as well. And violent crime goes up anywhere guns are prohibited. This is why we focus on getting rid of the gun-free zones. Look at all the mass shootings at the schools. One common thing, gun-free zones. They are not protected. We protect our banks. We protect other our politicians with guns, but not our kids. And the thought of bringing it up to the left to say, well, you can't put cops at school or you can't arm teachers. That will distract the kids or that will make them even more unsafe. What's making them unsafe, again, violent crime goes up anywhere guns are prohibited. That is a fact, whether you like it or not. Well, the kinds of people that they're talking about that are going to be more safe are generally going to be the criminals. Like they, they're concerned about what people getting shot at school by the police liaison officer. Cause I know they're trying to get them out of there and you can just watch videos endlessly on Twitter. I share them every time I see them of how violent the schools are in many cases. And the teachers are not equipped to get into fist fights with these teenagers who just beat them brutally. You know, and I'm not saying that kids need to be shot in that situation, but I remember growing up in the ghetto, we had metal detectors on the doors they still figured out ways for the gang members to get their guns in the school. Like Same with prisons, yeah. Yeah, it's so inevitably, as far as I'm concerned, any teacher that wants to be armed, let's go. You know, um, if you really are concerned about this issue of, you know, people showing up at schools and shooting them up, then it only makes sense that there should be somebody who can answer that force very quickly, very swiftly, you know, immediately. And so you don't end up in it of all these situations where the cops don't do their jobs you know, somebody already handled it before they even had to get there. And that's, you know, we, I still think obviously it, it behooves them. Like they're talking about like building these bunkers and the classrooms and stuff like that. And I'm not opposed to something like that. You know, obviously I think that things like, you know, we should have some kind of plan in place, um, you know, but at the same time, you know, uh, it's, it's inevitable that we need to be basically, if you want to be in a situation where you can handle somebody else having more force as, you know, accessible to them, you need to be able to stop them. Well said. Um, as far as me closing this out here, uh, I would say that the Second Amendment does not apply to semi-automatic rifles, nor does it apply to bolt-action rifles, pistols, or revolvers. The Second Amendment restricts the government only. The technology of the firearm is irrelevant. The restrictions on the government remain the same regardless of the firearm. The Second Amendment was not written to grant permission for citizens to own and bear arms it was it forbids the government interference in the right to keep and bear arms period the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed that's it that's why it was put in place so johnny um i know you're coming on tonight did you have any closing um issues that you wanted to share about what we've been discussing tonight 
and also take a moment and tell them what you will be streaming about this evening? Well, I think I've gotten my Second Amendment arguments out there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, tonight in about an hour, see, is that right? Yeah, in about an hour, 8 o'clock, I'm going to be covering um, Rashad Ritchie's phony academic background. I don't know how many of you out there know who he is, but he has his own um, The Young Turks channel called Indisputable, or yeah, that's right, Indisputable. Um, he is quite possibly the most arrogant blowhard on the internet. He has a completely phony uh, education background, and I'm going through each one of his degrees and absolutely tearing them apart. So, and it's been a lot of fun. I mean, it's hilarious, the stuff that we're encountering. So if you're interested in that, eight o'clock on my channel, um, tune in. Uh, my other my other stuff on What my is your channel? channel? I'm sorry? What is your channel? Uh, the Johnny Walker Dread Show. Okay, at Johnny and, Walker Dread? Yeah. Or do you add uh, the word show at the end? Yeah, exactly. And okay. uh, if you're interested in the Kyle Rittenhouse deal, I have probably three to 400 videos on Kyle and including a lot of uh, special guests, including like, for example, Ann Feeler's been on my show, um, Photo Chad. But I also not only talk about what happened, I go deep into the law, um, the whole legal aspect behind it. So if you have a scholarly interest in the Kenosha shootings, uh, my show is one that you really want to go by. I have a dumb arguments playlist that has reached 85 now of stupid arguments that people make about Kyle Rittenhouse. So if those things interest you. Only 85? <laughs> yeah. Well, I got tired. <laughs> you wore me out, right? Uh, so yeah, join me tonight. And, and in one more hour, this is part four, I think, of the Rashad Ritchie takedown. If you can't stand him, you'll love to hear what I have got to say for him. And you will not believe it. If anybody right. told you what I'm going to tell you tonight, you would not believe it, but I'm going to prove it. The man's academic background is absolutely fraudulent. And it's important for people who've been up on current events to know who we're dealing with. Rashad Ritchie is the guy that called for the city bike Karen, quote unquote, city bike Karen to be fired, you know, like, and is still, <laughs> he keeps going back and forth on his views on that, which is interesting because he backpedaled all of a sudden when it looked like he was going to get sued, you know, and then now I guess he's back on the bandwagon or whatever, but, um, the, the idea it's important to understand that that's a guy who's on a, on a channel that, um, has a lot of influence and the people who follow it closely, I was just, cause I was in the young Turks channel when they debuted the destiny debate, you know, and before I decided to do my reaction to it and the people there that are completely plugged into that network are absolutely crazy. It's like watching Vosh bots or Stefan Molyneux bots, you know, they don't question anything that they're told. And they do a fantastic job of the wrong thing about um, the news all the time. And they never do any kind of recanting, um, you know. But anyway, uh, Brian, did you have any closing thoughts before we're done? Uh, I am going to subscribe over at Johnny Walker Dread Show. And anybody listening to Liberty Unleashed, I uh, ask them to do the same and give him a uh, subscribe. You know, smash that subscribe button, if you will. And if you haven't, if you're listening to Liberty Unleashed and you haven't subscribed to V-Radio, uh, definitely subscribe over there because him and I do this show weekly uh, now. And so you're going to want to tune in either way at Liberty Unleashed or at V Radio. And of course, if you're listening to V Radio, I, I ask you to come over to Liberty Unleashed TV and give me a subscribe. I'd appreciate that as well. And other than that, I thank everybody for tuning in. 
Uh, it's always great to talk to everybody, read the comments in the chat. Unfortunately, um, I didn't have my computer set up the way I want to, so I couldn't interact the same way as I could last week. But that will change. And uh, Johnny, it was great uh, talking to you about this and hey, meeting you. Appreciate you having me on. And if you, either of you guys want to join me tonight as co-host, let me know. I wish I could. I've got family stuff to do right yeah, after this, but uh, uh, we'll get back together. Uh, we'll circle around and do a show together sometime soon for sure. I'm planning on doing a lot of open panels also that are just going to be like current events and not necessarily scripted. So that'll also sometimes mean bringing, bringing people on from opposing viewpoints. So obviously you guys are both candidates for that. Um, those kinds of conversations are meant to try to facilitate the idea that we need to have more civil conversations on these issues because we're not going to get anywhere arguing with them the way that they do on Twitch. Um, <laughs> so in any case, Thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in today. And um, I, you know, I would second, obviously, you know, I don't think there are going to be too many V Radio subscribers who have not already subscribed to Johnny Walker Dread. We do a lot of content together, um, you know. But if you have not, you should totally go check out his channel. His production value is usually better than mine, to be honest. And Liberty Unleashed. And I've been working on and off with Brian over the years, going all the way back since 2008. Um, if you are a right-leaning libertarian perspective kind of guy. You know, especially those among you who have tolerated my left-leaning views on my channel but are generally right-leaning, you will definitely enjoy uh, Brian slash Hoot's show. So you should be able to get to all of that, at least from the YouTube channel. I have the the at, you know, um, you know hyperlinks activated in the description. Actually, not the description, the, the name of the show. And if you click on those, it'll instantly take you over to those channels. Um, so thanks again, guys. And, um, you know, Liberty Unleashed is at 696 subs right now. Wouldn't take too much to get him over to 700. And Johnny Walker Dread, what, what are you at again? I'm at I know 913. It was 913. You know, shouldn't, shouldn't take too much to get Johnny Walker Dread over to 1,000. That would be pretty yeah, sweet, guys. Sometime in about four years. <laughs> you know, You'll be at 914 pretty soon here, as soon as I get off the air. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's, and for me, I've been stuck at like 5,000, like 900 something. Um, yeah, brag to us about it, so, why don't you? Yeah, you know, but, <laughs> well, no, I'm just saying it sucks because the algorithm will literally, like, you'll watch a few join and then a few get kicked off and then. That used to happen to Neo Unrealist all the time until they deleted him, which reminds me, once again, guys, if you like Neo Unrealist, make sure you go check him out on Rumble because they deleted him off of YouTube. Um, I We believe probably for talking about the Hunter Biden laptop. So thanks again, folks, for tuning in. We're going to go off the air, and um, obviously we'll be back next week. I don't think we nailed down what the topic is going to be yet, but um, if there's anything that you guys would like us to, to discuss, make sure you bring it to our attention. You can also go to hy.page slash vradio and you can find my all of my social media. Come and join us on Discord where we have conversations with people of varying beliefs. Just remember, if you're coming to my Discord, no personal attack is the main primary rule. You can argue any point you want. Just don't attack other people. So thanks again for tuning in, guys. And thanks, Tom. Yep. <laughs> looking forward to next week. Talk Take to you care. soon, man.